Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. All right, yes. Uh, kids can head up to uh, Big Kid Church. Um, they are on their way out. All right, uh, we are in a series right now called Epiphany, and Epiphany is uh, the same series that we do every January. Um, Epiphany in liturgical church calendar follows uh, Advent, and Advent is just your uh, awaiting period for the Lord to come, um, for the Messiah to come, and so it's a celebration of kind of that, that in-between, that angst of, of waiting for Him to arrive, and it's also a pointing to the second arrival, so we're now in another waiting period, waiting for the Lord to come uh, again, and so Advent celebrates that. Epiphany celebrates once Jesus has come, uh, how has he made himself known? How is he revealing himself to, uh, to the world around him? And, and one of the primary ways in which God is revealing himself through Jesus Christ, um, ongoing even after his ascension, is through the revelation of the church. It's, it's through the way in which the church is spreading the glory of God over all of the earth like the waters covered the sea. Um, it's, it's getting God into every aspect of culture, domain of life, um, every aspect of your thoughts, your hearts. Um, so it's micro, it's macro, it's, it's every aspect of life. How is God getting his glory into every single one of those pieces? And the church is the, the both um, organism and organization that God has instilled and installed in order uh, for his glory to be spread. The, the church, and, and we're not just talking building, we're, we're talking the body of believers, we're talking the community of faith that Jesus is building, that God has brought together um, in order for us to rightly reflect his glory. Um, and so that comes through, obviously, first and foremost, salvation, um, sinners becoming saints, um, us being forgiven of our sins so that we can now um, have the righteousness of Christ that is our foundation. Um, so that begins to then inform every aspect of your life. That is the thing, having Christ as our identity is the very thing that creates us to be holy. Um, and so we're on this, uh, we're not necessarily just on this pursuit of holiness. We are holy because of Christ in us. Now that holiness then begins to work itself out in all of your life. There's a holy way in which we talk. There's a holy way in which we think. There's a holy way in which we work. There's a holy way in which we relate to others. There's a holy way in which we steward finances. There's a holy way that glorifies and honors and brings praise to God in which we live out our lives functionally. And so this is God bringing about his glory as the church. And not only is it just what it does to you individually, but it's also what it does to us as a community of faith how it shapes and molds um, each one of us to grow in the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit, but also how it affects us as an organization, um, how we are to function together, how we are to live life um, dependent upon one another, how we are to live life uh, co-mingling, um, or as we'll see in the Greek here in a minute, it's kind of a... A scandalous term, but it's an, it's an intercourse of relationships that is the koinonia that God has brought together that means that like we, we literally cannot function as the church without the commingling of one another, without the investment of one another, without actually relating to and being in community with each other. And so this is why we wanted to take Epiphany um, this January series to kind of roll out for you what is the mission and vision of the district church because it is it is our uh, um, our efforts as a local church to flesh out what it is that God is doing with the church as a, as as global um, what it is that God has ultimately constructed so whether we're looking in. Uh, the book of Acts at the early church and how they operated. Um, we're also looking at how we operate uh, in 2020 as the church um, that God has created and that he is building and that he is working together. And so we wanted to take this time to be able to just show you how we connect what we believe we are as a church to what we actually do as a church. 
And so first and foremost, that's why our mission statement is the district church exists. The reason why we're here is to glorify God. First and foremost, that's just if, if the mission of God is his glory being spread, we want that to be at the forefront of our mission. We exist to glorify God. Now, the way in which God wants to be glorified is through disciples being made. This is the great commission that he's given um, through Jesus Christ to the 11 uh, apostles when he was ascending back to heaven. The last mission that he gave them was go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Lord, I, I am with you always to the end of the age. It was the last thing that he gave the disciples in order for them to go and spread his glory is through going and making disciples. So that's the mission of the church. Glorify God by making disciples. Now that's going to flesh itself out in, in, I mean, it could be thousands of different ways in which that fleshes itself out. And so the way that we've kind of now brought that down to the ground level is looking through scripture at the totality of a disciple and, and kind of distilling out what are the discipleship traits what do we see, regardless of context, regardless of culture, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of any of those things, even time periods, what do we see are the discipleship traits that we as a church want to embody so that we can actually say we are making disciples? And it comes down to four things. Four things that we see is we exist to glorify God, to, to make disciples through, number one, gospel-centered worship. Gospel-centered worship. Number two, gospel-centered community. Three is gospel-centered service. And four is gospel-centered multiplication. And the first week we covered, what do we mean by gospel centrality? And so Josh covered that. Go back and listen to that sermon if you missed it. Last week we covered what we mean by gospel-centered worship. We believe a disciple worships. And so we want to create opportunities for us as a body to worship and also us as individuals to worship. Because if you're not worshiping, then you're not being a disciple. And also within that, to make disciples means that we need to grow in our understanding of worship. And so worship isn't just the corporate gathering of worship. Worship isn't just singing songs. Worship is much more than those things. It's not, uh, it's not um, instead of those things, but it's in addition to those things. Worship includes prayer, it includes fasting, it includes spiritual disciplines, it includes reading God's word, it includes uh, sending a text of encouragement to somebody. Worship is, is living out the design that God has called you to be and function in for his glory. It's why there's verses in scripture like 1 Corinthians 10.31 that says, whether you're eating or drinking, do it all for the glory of God. So there's a way in which you can eat food that worships him. There's a way in which you can drink that worships him. There's a way in which you work that worships him. And so that was last week. Go back and listen to it if you missed it. And then that moves us into gospel-centered community. Gospel-centered community is what we're going to be looking at today. And if that happens, it'll probably happen again. Just don't worry about it. Um, and don't blame Luke. Luke, you're doing a great job. It's not your fault, bud. <laughs> Um, but gospel-centered community. So if gospel-centered worship is the fuel for discipleship, gospel-centered community is what we say is the context for discipleship. And my argument for you today um, is that you cannot be a disciple of Christ if you are not involved in the community of Christ. That's what I want to hopefully convince you of today. And I want to show you... Um, you can, I'm actually going to have you turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. So as you're heading to Ephesians 4, I'm going to read another verse for you just to kind of set this up a little bit. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13 says this. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another. And for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father in the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Um, I would say that we would each argue or agree here today that one of the reasons for you being a part of the church is to have your hearts be found blameless before the Lord. Like, like one of the primary reasons why 
why we're here is because we want forgiveness of sins. Like we want to be made holy. We want to become more like Jesus. I mean, if you're here for any other reason than that, like if, if you're here because church is a hobby, um, there are a lot better hobbies out there um, that I can steer you in the direction of, of discovering. Um, because hobbies are meant to be something that, that, that always kind of or should bring you happiness and pleasure. And church isn't necessarily always going to be that. Um, there are going to be times in church that it's very difficult for you to belong to it because it draws out of you um, impurities and imperfections and inconsistencies and things about your life that you don't like are going to be revealed through the process of belonging to a community. Because if we as the body of Christ are called to serve one another, encourage one another, spur one another on, stir one another up, um, and even rebuke and correct one another at times, that means there are going to be times in which we are investing in the lives of one another that we call each other out. And those are times that are not pleasurable at the, at the beginning of it. We hope that it at least gets to a point where there's confession had and there's growth had and then you actually begin um, repenting of and, and, and forgetting about whatever the sin was that you're doing and you actually begin living a life that's honoring God. That actually brings more joy in your life than whatever the, the fleeting pleasure of this sin was. So it's difficult in the moment, but ultimately leads to joy. We're here today because we want to see Jesus. We want to become more like him. Well, God has developed a strategic strategy in order for us to become more like him. And listen, it's not by you having, and this is going to sound heretical, it's not by you having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not. That's not, that's not biblical. Like nowhere in scripture does he command have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is that it's, it's me, myself, and Jesus, and that's the only thing I need in order to grow in my relationship with Christ, in order to grow in my relationship with God, in order to grow in my understanding of what the Bible is teaching. God nowhere throughout Scripture is implementing a strategy that is you in isolation growing in your relationship with him. But everywhere throughout Scripture is God ordaining and orchestrating a community of people that you are to belong to in which you then grow in your relationship with Christ because of things called blind spots, things that you're not aware of, things that you need other people to speak into. And not only blind spots, but one of the hardest things for you to do for yourself is encourage yourself, right? That's why we need the body of Christ to be able to be commanded to encourage one another because we all need encouragement. And the last thing that we want to do is try to encourage ourselves because we know ourselves more than anybody. And what gets usually put on replay constantly in our minds are our failures, not our wins and successes. Like you don't have to be reminded how many times you mess up. You know it. It's there and it's on replay like a broken record. Therefore, we also need encouragement from others. Discipleship does not happen in isolation or merely as an, an individual. Individualism is the Christian, or in the Christian life, is a destructive force. Individualism, individualism says that I can live the Christian life without the joy of fellowship, without accountability, without encouragement, without guidance, and the sacraments. An individualistic mindset avoids authority, responsibility, and community. It says that I can live the Christian life without you, the body of Christ. I don't, I don't want to be challenged. I don't want my blind spot exposed. I, I don't want to minister to needy people and serve others. I want to do my own thing, just myself, my Bible, and I. Individualism is literally the opposite of the biblical covenant community. And it came out of the mindset that you don't need community in order to achieve any type of contentment, happiness, or fill in the blank. This is the mindset of it. Just think about kind of the back porch versus front porch model or idea. 
back in the day, and this is, I would even say, before my day, back in the day, like, people didn't have back porches. They lived on their front porch. Like, everyone would come out to their front porch. That's where they would rock. That's where people would be walking down the sidewalk, and they would engage one another as neighbors. They would engage, they, like, they knew each other. Like, they actually knew their neighbors, and they would invite them into community. They would invite them in for dinners. They would invite them in to, um, I mean, even discipline their children. Like I remember, and, and this was being very young, my father having a conversation with one of our neighbors that, hey, if you ever see my boy out of line, you have my permission to give him a good spanking. But like this was a community mindset. It was like, you're going to parent my kids. I'm going to parent your kids. We're going to do dinner together. We're going to share life with one another. We're going to know like all the details and gossip that's going on. Like the front porch mindset was we welcome in community because it takes a village to raise. Like that, that's kind of the mindset. Like it, it takes all of us to do this thing right. And then when we moved outside of that culture was when the back porch started thriving. And the back porch culture was essentially, let's, let's, let's move away from community. Let's just build a kingdom for ourselves. Let's go to the back porch. Let's throw up some privacy fences around this so that we let the world outside of us stay there and we create some kind of homeostasis within our own neck of the woods. Or within our own place. Like we, we, we just want to do things our way without inviting anything else in. Now, by the grace of God, I think the back porch mindset is now kind of being um, uh, renewed and revitalized as, as more people are entertaining and hosting, inviting people in. But it's much more difficult to get to that place. Why? Because you just don't see your neighbors. You don't see those that are around you because usually we just take a long time to get there. What we are going to see today is how Paul instructs us to press into the lives of one another. And he does this by asking God to make us increase our love for one another, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. So my hope for us today regardless of like if you're like okay, I need like a how-to checklist on how to do community ride or like, we can work those things out. Like, there's 59 one another's that you'll find in the New Testament of how you can work out doing community together. I mean, just read through the New Testament. Every time you see one another, just underline whatever that is, and that's how you are to do community together. But what I'm hoping comes out of this is that our love for one another increases as Paul's instructing because if it doesn't come from that foundation, then we will never get to the how-tos. If we don't have a deep affection for one another, if we don't have a compassion for one another, if we don't have empathy for one another, if, if we don't see others through the lens that Christ sees them, we will never pursue them like Christ has pursued us. So my prayer through this message is that that is what increases and ultimately leads and guides and directs us. Because here's the reality. Tim Keller puts it this way. Ultimate reality is a community of persons who know and love one another. That is what the universe, God, history, and life is all about. He says, if you favor money, power, and accomplishment over human relationships, you will dash yourself on the rocks of reality. He goes on to say, it's impossible to stay fully human if you refuse the cost of relationships, forgiveness, substitutional exchange of love, and the confinements of community. I love that. Essentially what he's saying there is like, you, if you are not invested and involved in a community, you will cease to be human because this is the way God created you to function you need each other so if we are to combat the sin of individualism then with what do we combat it with and i'm going to give you three reasons why i believe we are to combat this sin of being isolated with being involved in community and specifically for us this would look like community groups smaller groups of believers who share life and the gospel with one another 
So Ephesians 4, we're going to start reading there. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The first point that is going to lead us to understand our need for community is first understanding that God himself exists in a community. God is a community. And this is Trinitarian language that we use. God exists as a singular God, three distinct persons. So we're a monotheistic religion. Christianity is a monotheistic belief system in which we believe that there is one God. So we don't believe that there are multiple gods. We don't believe there are thousands of gods. We, we believe that there is one God, but we also believe that that one God exists in three persons in a eternal community, a mutually self-giving towards one another, mutually loving, mutually encouraging community in which is the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God has created our family of faith, our church, our community to be attached to the community that he exists in as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I love this passage because this passage is literally linking us to the Trinity of God. You see a theme in these verses that there is oneness. Oneness is key. Seven times the word one is used here. There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and all this derives from one God who is Father of all. First, there's one body because there's one spirit. And this one body that we're referring to is the body of Christ. You can see this played out in 1 Corinthians, the body of Christ, the members of the body. And even in that body, you can see that there are um, encouragements and, and commands from the Apostle Paul to the, the um, Corinthians to not neglect one another, to not tell one another that I don't need you. He literally goes on to say, like, the hand cannot say to the foot, I don't need you, and the foot can't say to the eye that I don't need you. This is language where we across the church would, would, would use language like um, the person serving in the nursery right now can't say to um, Luke behind the soundboard, I don't need you. No, they, they need each other in order for the body of Christ to function and work and serve each other. We need one another. And we need this one body because it's attached to the one spirit of God. The one body of the church. And it's comprised of all different ethnicities. Jewish, Gentile believers. It's, it's in unity or cohesion is due to the fact that it's attached to the spirit of God. The spirit of God. Have you ever heard like the spirit of unity? The only reason why we as a church can have unity is because we have the same spirit. The same spirit of Christ that is within us draws us to one another despite our backgrounds and differences. You know, it's, it's funny, a lot of times people ask, like, um, do you pastor a diverse church? And I say, well, it depends on how you define diversity. Um, if you're talking ethnic diversity, we're not that diverse yet. But if you're talking cultural diversity, yeah, we're pretty diverse. We've got people from Southern California, we've got people from Tennessee, those are two drastically different cultures. We've got people from the Midwest. We've got people who were raised in church backgrounds, people not raised in church backgrounds. There are, are a vast majority of, um, or a variety of diversity within our church in which we don't do things the same way others do things. And so the only thing that's gonna bring us together in order for us to, to do life and share life with one another is going to be the spirit of God that unifies us despite our differences. I mean, there's tons of times where people are like, why would you do things that way? It's because I was raised in the South. That's why we started a potluck that now is shifting and changing. And we try to do casseroles one time. And it's like, no one knows what casseroles are unless you're from like Tennessee or the South. So there's things where it's like, why do you do it that way? Well, it's because it was just my upbringing is why we do it that way. 
But so there's, so we welcome diversity within it because I want to have ever truly understood what a good taco is until someone exposed me to good tacos who are outside of the South. Because we don't know what tacos are in the South. Like, it's just, it's just really honest. Like, it's, we just throw, like, barbecue pulled pork inside it and throw some, like, tomatoes on it. We're like, that's a taco. And it's like, that shouldn't go together. That's sad. Secondly, there's one hope belonging to our Christian calling, one faith and one baptism because there's only one Lord. This is true because there's only one Jesus Christ who's the object of our faith, our hope, and our baptism of all Christians. It is Jesus Christ in whom we believe, in whom we have been baptized, in whom, um, whose return we wait with expectant hope. So we can say we belong to a family of faith because we have a Jesus who has brought us into this family of faith, who through his life, death, and resurrection has created the, the necessary means for us to hold on to that, accept that, receive that, trust that in order to bring us into a family that has the exact same faith, that has the exact same hope, and that is brought into this family through the exact same baptism. It doesn't matter if you were baptized in this room or if you were baptized in, in your church uh, growing up or if you were baptized in a river overseas or wherever it was, Jesus Christ himself. It is through him that we are actually brought into this family. And thirdly, there's one Christian family because there's one God and Father. We belong to this family because we have one Father. And so we are brothers, that's why they use the language, brothers and sisters in Christ, because we all have one Father, Father God. I used to, I, several weeks ago, I used the language of, of a lot of times we view Christianity or at least forgiveness as if we're walking into a courtroom and uh, we're trying to plead our case of why we should be forgiven of our sins and we just don't do a good job in defending that well because we're trying to play out the balance of good and evil and, and I've done more good than bad and so therefore, God, you should accept me, you should forgive me because I've done this. And at the end of the day, none of that ever measures up to the righteousness that God deems necessary in order to be in relationship with him. Because even if we reached some level of achievement when it comes to being holy and righteous and good, there's still a history of unrighteousness um, and sin that we've done. And so, so we're never going to be able to achieve it perfectly. And so Jesus comes in and, and plays the defense for us and he sits down next to us and he looks to God, the judge on the throne, and he says to him, whatever accusations are against them, whatever sins they have committed, whatever laws they have broken, whatever it is that has created their identity to be unrighteous, I am paying it in full because I have died the death that they deserve. And because I am paying it in full and they have received my forgiveness, they are pardoned from everything that they have ever done wrong, everything that they will ever do that is wrong, and everything that they will ever do that is wrong, they are forgiven of it. And they are pardoned of it. And they are free to go. And the judge looks at us and says, not only is this a pardoning of your sins, but this is an adoption ceremony in which I am adopting you as a father and you're coming home with me. And when you come home with me, the backyard is all yours. The pantry is all yours. The house is all yours. Live in my kingdom and be merry. Have fun, enjoy it. There are going to be trials throughout it, but enjoy it. This is what the Father is telling us. We are attached as a community of faith. If you were to literally, if I were to repeat the three and just read it around uh, backwards, the one Father creates the one family, the one Lord Jesus creates the one faith, hope, and baptism, and the one Spirit creates the body of Christ. So the community that is God creates the community that is the church. And so for us to be children of God, we cannot operate as children of God outside of what he has created, which is the community of faith, the church. 
How then does this new community, this family of believers, function? And this is where I want you to go to Acts 2, 41 through 47. I want you to see here how this first church that was birthed in the book of Acts, how they began to function um, as they increased in their love for one another because of what God has done for them. Acts 2, picking it up in verse 41, says this. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Um, To give you a little context here, this is following the sermon at Pentecost. Um, So this is the Passover season for the Jewish uh, traditions, and so everyone has come from all over, um, and and they're gathering for Passover, and Peter takes this opportunity um, 40 days after uh, his uh, the, the crucifixion of Christ and his denial of Christ, and then Christ coming and restoring him by cooking him some breakfast and asking him three times, do you love me? Feed my sheep. After all that, we're coming into the context of Passover. Everybody's gathering. Peter gets up in front of the entire gathering, thousands upon thousands of people, and he preaches a sermon. And after receiving the word, they were baptized and added that day 3,000 people to the church. Now, that 3,000 people then begin operating in this way. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being made or being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So the first thing you see um, in verse 42 is, is a combination of a couple of things. You see that they devoted themselves to the apostle teaching and to the fellowship. And this is really one of the verses that we primarily use as a church to break down a lot of the ministries that we offer. We see that the first church, the first thing that grabbed a hold of them and that, that, that um, empowered them and fueled them was being devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And so for us, that's kind of the, the bike pedals that we use. In addition to, as I talked last week, the worshiping in spirit and truth, the bike pedals that we use when it comes to how we function as a church is being devoted to God's word being taught as well as the community of fellowship in which it is then flowed out or um, fleshed out. And so that's why we have corporate gatherings. That's why we have the institutes. That's why there are elements of uh, discussion around the Bible. That's why we have uh, women's Bible studies. Um, that's why we have um, anything that can get you to the Word of God. Because at the end of the day, we know that the first church, the first thing that they were devoted to was understanding what is being taught from God's Word. I mean, you even see this played out in the Great Commission go and make disciples. Everyone just focuses on the aspect of go and make disciples. What does that mean? Does that mean just go and make converts overseas? No, not only is it making converts or getting people to understand who Christ is and coming to love him and and have deep affections for him as Lord and Savior. Yes, it is about a sinner becoming a saint. It is about a, a person becoming a believer, having their sins forgiven, making those disciples in all nations and baptizing them, teaching them to observe all that Christ has commanded. Everyone always leaves off the entire commandment. The entire commandment includes this aspect of of teaching one another, encouraging one another in the scriptures, reading the Bible with one another, getting to all that Jesus has commanded. Why? Because what Jesus commands is good news for us. Jesus' commands aren't just, I have come to offer you forgiveness, and so now that you've received your forgiveness, just keep going and living life however you want to live it. That's that's not what he's saying. 
That is licentiousness. That is, that is you just having the license because now I've become a Christian and, and we believe that it's perseverance of the saints and so we don't believe that you can lose your salvation. And therefore, because I can't lose my salvation, I can just go live life however I want to live it. But what that actually reveals is that I don't care about God. And I don't care about his design for my life. And I don't care about the good news that he's giving me on how it is to steward resources and how it is to steward relationships and how it is to love my spouse and how it is to raise children and how it is to be a great coworker and how it is to handle conflicts within relationships. I don't care how God commands or teaches me to observe those things. All I wanted was the fire insurance that I don't go to hell. But what that reveals in your heart is that if you don't have a deep affection and love for God, then you actually never received his forgiveness. It's a posture of life. When you receive forgiveness, and in that forgiveness, you're receiving the identity of Christ. Guess what that means? Your deepest affections are becoming the affections of Christ. And therefore, you want, you have this deep desire, you want to observe all that Jesus has commanded. And therefore, because you have this deep desire and want to observe all that Jesus has commanded, where do I go to learn what he's commanded? I go to his word. I go to the apostles' teaching. I want to devote myself to the apostles' teaching. And that's why we give every aspect or every opportunity we can to teach God's word and to get it into your hearts and your minds because it's what you want. It's what you want. In addition to them being devoted to that, they were devoted to the fellowship. And the fellowship in the Greek is koinonia. And koinonia, when you break it down, is an intercourse of relationships. It's, it's, it's such a mingling of relationships that you are known and you know one another. You know details about every person's life. And it's not just Facebook facts. I'm talking you know what heartache they're walking through right now because of the, of the experience of a loss of a friend or a loved one. You know what frustrations they're dealing with in their work life right now because you're in their life so much so that they're either telling you and lamenting it to you or you're drawing it out of them because of the questions that you're asking of them. It's a pursuit of one another, this fellowship. It's a togetherness that goes deeper than just checking off the box that we said, hey, how was your week? Good? Awesome. That's great. My week was good too. Yeah? Awesome. Yeah. It's way more than that. And the only way in which we can ever get beyond that is we have to be present with one another. I mean, 80% of community is just being present. And I made up that stat, but it's just being present. <laughs> it's, 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 it's how often can I get around this person so that I can get to know them, they can get to know me. And as we're getting to know one another, we're knowing now what we need to do in the 59 one another's for each other for the glory of God and the joy of all people. It's how we disciple one another because we know the needs of each other. We know what we need from a physical standpoint. That's why I love the fact that like this church in Acts 2 were selling all their possessions, giving it to the church, and then distributing it to anyone who had need. I'm not saying like go sell your house and your cars and, like, and, and just cash in all your bank accounts and just give it to the church and then we'll distribute it to you as need. But what it is saying, and, and, and the reason why we know that's not happening is because they were still meeting in homes. So it's not like they were just going and selling literally everything that they have and just handing it over to the church. They're still meeting in their own homes. They still have homes that they're going back to. But there's this, there's this mindset of um, you do not have to do this on your own. I am going to pursue you so that I can help distribute my resources to make sure your needs are taken care of. How do we know what needs are there? We get into one another's lives. 
were invested just as much as they were invested. I mean, this, this church, and I'm not saying we, we do this because I'm not going to be here, but they were day by day attend, attending the temple together and going and breaking bread in their homes. So day by day, they're coming together for corporate worship and then scattering together in homes in order to have meals with one another because they just wanted to, in all aspects of their time, be the church. Be the church. And I think for us, I was having a conversation this week. One of the most difficult things for us is these two, maybe three words. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. And from what I know, just for the last 2,000 years of tracing church history, is um, everyone's busy at all times. Like, we've got two kids with a third on the way. We're busy. We looked back when we just had one kid and we thought we thought we were busy then. We looked back before we had that one kid and it was just the two of us. We were busy. Before we got married and we're just single people living life, we were busy. Guess what? We're all busy. But one of the things I think that we need to do is, is actually kind of begin auditing how we spend our time and begin looking at instead of letting the culture around me dictate how I spend my time, let's audit our own selves on how we spend our time and begin looking at, okay, if, and I'm literally, I actually did this, um, I need to do it again. I did this about four years ago where I took a week and I had a, literally a calendar of like hour by hour and I had to literally fill in, pencil in hour by hour how I spent my week. And at the end of the week, I was able to come back and look at it and start to kind of collect together categories and collect together how much time I'm spending on social media, how much time is commuting, how much time is, is, is TV, how much time is reading in God's word, how much time is study, how much time is family, how much, like I could literally categorize it all out and look at it and say, do I really want, at the, at, at the deepest part of my affections, do I really want to spend this amount of hours on this thing? Because if I were to etch off some of that, scrape it off, cut it, all of a sudden now I've got four hours where I can invite someone over to our house for dinner because I've created some space and capacity in our, in our life. Or do I really want to be spending my resources towards this where this last time I heard that somebody was in, in, in a need at Christmas time or whatever and I would have loved to have been able to give to, to them but I couldn't do it because I'm spending money on this? So maybe if I cut this out, I'll actually be free to do the very thing that I actually want to do that's going to return for me more joy than whatever this temporary pleasure is over here. I think if we actually were to do the work on looking at our lives, we would be able to create the capacity needed for us to do community well, for us to do it well, for us to be the church for one another, for us to be available for one another, to be able to show up in one another's life. Maybe not day to day like they were in this first church, but that, that's, a, that's a good goal to get to. The last thing I want to do that I want to show you is, is I actually just want to read a passage for you. Um, and this passage, it's going to be Romans 12. So if you want to turn to Romans 12, you can. It's going to start in verse 9. I, I do want to just read some of the one another's. Because in reading some of the one another's, it puts language to what you're feeling that you want. It, it puts truths behind the, the affections that you have. There's, there's, there's reasons why we show up today. There's reasons why we show up in community groups throughout the week. Because we're longing for something. Everyone wants to belong. Even the nonconformists have created a conforming, nonconformist group in which they belong to something that is non-belonging to everything else. Like it's impossible for us to not belong to something because it's inherent within us. 
It's the way God designed us to function. And so I want you to see these truths played out in Romans chapter 12, picking up in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I, I love that one because it, I'm a competitive guy and it kind of makes a competition out of outdoing one another for honor. Um, it's like, how can you outdo encouraging someone else before they encourage you? Make it a competition. Just go for it. I, I do, at least. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. How do you know the needs if, you're, if you aren't in community? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Think about that for a second. Just rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Do you know, I mean, just even sitting in the rows here, do you know what the person next to you right now is rejoicing in? And do you also know what they're weeping in? Like, that's how I want to be known, and that's how I want to know others. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Don't just share life with those of your same phase of life, but be with those who are different than you, regardless of background. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will, rep I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you'll heat burning coals on his head. That uh, doesn't sound like a, a nice gesture. Um, it doesn't mean do something nice for someone in order for them to like feel guilty about it. Um, the Lord's doing the work in their life. It's saying show them love so that they will feel this need of the Lord in their lives. Do not, become, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. At the end of the day, for us as a church to operate in this how-to, we just need to come back to this pursuit of Jesus to us. I mean, Jesus came to build a community of faith. I mean, he literally says in Matthew, I'm, I'm building my church. He's building a family. And his pursuit of building this family is what I pray our pursuit becomes, is what he was willing to do. And as we come to communion, this is, this is literally his pursuit of the church to create the church and to and to actually marry the church. The church is his bride. He's so in love with creating this community of faith that he's willing to lay down his life and sacrifice his life to the point of death on a cross to create her and to make her holy and blameless. I mean, like that's, again, going back to our reason for being here today. We're here because we want to be made holy and blameless. And the beauty is, is that as we just participate in the process, what we know is guaranteed is that Jesus is the one making us holy and blameless by us spurring one another on, loving one another, doing all the, the one another's that are found in Scripture. And so if you're not in a community group, man, just jump in. And if you, you're like, I'm too busy, I don't have the time, 
audit your life and figure it out. Figure it out. Because in order for you to continue to grow in your relationship with Christ for your joy and for his glory, you've got to be in community. And it's got to be more, I mean, I, it's got to be more than just the corporate gathering. And it's got to even be more than just community group. I'm just trying to get you to community group. It's even more than community group. Because you can still show up to a community group and hide. You can hide. Are you open and available to allow others to speak into your life in the good and the bad? I pray he's increasing your love for that so that we as the church can function together and can't say to one another, I don't need you. I do need you. I need you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for what it is that you have created in the church to be a family um, that exists for your glory, but also exists for one another. I mean, I just think about the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, That's a singular commandment, Lord. And so it's not just about us loving you, it's about us loving those around us. It's about us caring for each other. And so Father, I pray that, that our hearts would increase in our affections for each other so that we will begin to sacrifice the things in our life that we need to sacrifice in order to build the family of faith. Just as Jesus sacrificed his his life in order for us to be made holy and blameless. So we thank, we thank you, God, that you are the Father. We thank the Holy Spirit that he is the one who has created the one body and we thank Jesus that he is the one who has created the one faith, hope, and baptism that we belong to. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at